The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. My name is Lauren. I am this guy's wife. And then, yes, he told me, tell them that you're married to the handsome hunk walking around. I was like, I will for sure say that. Um, It's my pleasure this morning to read your scripture, Um, so please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Daniel 3, 24 through 29, if you want to follow along. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You servants of the most high God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, uh, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there were no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar explained, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, Story City Church. Welcome to the Burbank location. We are stoked, ecstatic, excited to have you here this morning. My name is Jared. I am one of the pastors here at Story City. Story City exists to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. That key word here is health. It's a big deal to us here. And how do we do that? We do it by continuing to train up and raise healthy apprentices of Jesus. It's called discipleship. Uh, through healthy communities. It's how we actually learn to live together and on life, on mission together. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's how we uh, church plant and revitalize other churches. It's uh, through the raising up of leaders and pastors, church planters, and, commu- and uh, committing to work with other churches who love the city in the same way that we do. And so this is a big part of who we are and what we do each week. And we're excited that you are here as a part of that. I hope you've enjoyed these testimony videos the past few weeks. We have a testimony video, don't we? Okay, so I jumped up too early, and that's part of what happened. But that's okay. This is going to be a part of it. So why don't you take a look at this while I slow down? God, I know it's easy for us to to want to share our story for others to see and be in awe of us. But rather, Lord, we, we hope and pray that through these stories, all of them that are being recorded, Lord, will bring you glory, bring you ultimate uh, fame and awe and wonder that people will hear and as we go through. My name is Samir David uh, or Samir Khadir the Beat or some even just know me as Sam. Um, I was born and raised here in the San Fernando Valley uh, to immigrant parents from Palestine. In my upbringing, my biggest 
struggle was really seeking out my identity. With immigrant parents, the, the, the heart of trying to assimilate to American culture and understand my background. Um, you know, by the age of six, I even decided on my own to go by the name Sam because it was just easier to say Sam rather than Samir. And I wanted to belong. I wanted to have an identity that was familiar with those around me. I began to pursue athletics, popularity, parties, engage with father figures or older people just to make them like me. And that was a real long journey um, of pursuit in a way that, unbeknownst to me, harming the way that God has originally and desired me to live. By the age of 16, God actually sought me out. I was invited by someone, but really by the presence and power of God, to a youth group where Jesus was clearly shared in a way that drew me to him, that reminded me of the need for a father figure, my heavenly father, the one who created me, to find more about who I am. You, you, might, you might have seen me or, or known me to be maybe a little arrogant or um, trying to, to make myself look like I'm a part of the popular crowd so that you can like me. You know, I always thought that my pursuit of God would come from the works that I did, that I was so important enough that it depended on me for God to do things in this world or for those around me. So I relied on myself so much in the way I even did ministry um, as I was walking through that and as God's grace really began to humble me and to, to discipline me in ways, I began to recognize that God rather would do something great in me than do anything through me. That's something that's been kind of like the story of my last few years. And because of that, I can now walk in my true identity and knowing now where I really desire more than anything for people to know that I go by the name of Samir again because I know that in my true self, Jesus has filled me, renewed me, and made me new. It's in order for me to walk in joy, in freedom, in peace. I know this is a journey that I'm still on, still trying to figure out. It's a long one, and many of us are walking through that today. All right, we were supposed to watch that first before I started. But I want you to know that we actually have, if you've enjoyed these, we actually have the longer versions of their testimonies up on the website. So it looks like this. If you go to our website, storycitychurch.com, there's our new rebranded website. looks fantastic. Yeah, and you go to stories there on the right-hand side, and we have all these fancy people, and there are our testimony videos and, uh, and that's how you get to them. That's the longer versions if you're interested in checking in their stories. Okay, let's pray and we will jump back into our message today. Father God, this is, uh, I'm sure like many others, been one heck of a week for me. Lord, you know my heart is, um, Lord, just heavy with all the, the loss. There's been a lot of death around me this week. There's been a lot of just... Um, Lord, really good moments, good moments with you, good moments with my family. And sometimes those things aren't opposed to each other. Sometimes even in loss, there is 
good moments. And so I thank you that you are present, not just apart from our struggles, but in the midst of all the things that we face. I thank you that you're a God who uh, um, doesn't sit outside and, and wait for things to happen and for us to call you in, but you're a God who, as Samir talked about, pursues us, who enter into our brokenness, our hurt, our pain. And the things that we experience are always things that even what the enemy means for evil, you redeem for good. And so I thank you that, that you always do what's best for us, for your kingdom. I pray that you would meet us here in this moment, that you would help us to lay aside all the things that are in our mind, the things we're worrying about, the things we're stressed about, and that we would literally hear from you this morning. So Lord, help me to be out of the way and your spirit to move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series, A Living Story, What's Yours? And uh, this is why we're doing some of these testimonies. What you'll notice is a lot of times people think testimonies have to be this. And I was addicted to these 20 things and I murdered 40 people and then God radically saved me and now I'm a really peace-loving, gentle person. Those things do happen and that's great. But a lot of times what we miss is the miraculous is in the mundane. And the truth is that the miraculous that God does in us is, is oftentimes more like watching children grow up where all of a sudden you go, wait, did you just get two inches taller? Because I don't remember you being that tall. And you measure and you're like, wow, I've grown. And God does those same things in us. And so often we have change that we didn't even see coming that God does uh, that, that we don't even maybe even recognize God is doing. And so this is a part of what we're trying to understand is testimonies are all about God moving in us that you'll hear over and over again. Jesus is the hero of the story, not us. And if that's the one thing that we take away from this series, then we've done something well over the next couple of weeks. And so... Um, we're going to be looking at a testimony today that is miraculous. It is over the top. It is something that seems impossible because it is impossible. Uh, that's why it's called supernatural. It's outside of the natural occurrence. And so it's a supernatural event where God interacts with human history today. And there is some relevance for us. And we're going to be in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel is uh, found after the Psalms. If you open up your Bible about to the middle, that will be the Psalms. Keep going to the right a little bit before you hit the New Testament. And you end up with all these names. These are prophets. You get to one of those is Daniel. Daniel is a major prophet. As compared to the minor prophets, it's not because he, uh, he's more special than the other ones. It just means he wrote more. A major prophet wrote more than a minor prophet who wrote less. That's all it is. So... Here's what we see in Daniel, this king named Nebuchadnezzar, he rules this empire named Babylon, and he's built this giant golden statue and put it wherever everyone can see it. He then hires a band with all kinds of musicians, and he says, hey, country, anytime that the band strikes up and plays, everybody needs to stop what they're doing, bow down, and worship this statue. If you don't, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, because let's face it, a non-fiery furnace just isn't that scary. Right, like, get in there. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> now what? <laughs> so, fiery furnace is the big deal. Uh, some bad dudes want to set up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed. Uh, okay, I got to get this right. I was raised Abednego. It's not Abednego. It's Abednego. All right. So we're going to try and change. Those of you long-term Christians, we're going to change this. It's Abednego. See if I go back and revert while I'm talking about this. Okay, so these bad dudes tell these three guys, uh, they tell on these three guys, and they say uh, they're not worshiping, and so let's pick up this story for context. Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 29. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? He's giving them a chance here. He says, now, if you're ready, let's try this again. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music... 
Simple, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And this is the key to the entire story right here. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Right? That's what I'm saying. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from your power, O king. This is a battle that's lining up, and we see it's not about the blazing fire at all. If the God we serve exists, and he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Doesn't go over well with the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. That's pretty hot. And he, I don't know who's measuring that. Like, how do you know it's seven times and not eight? Like, that's too hot or six. I don't, I don't know. But he commanded the best soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes, were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. That's not only hallelujah, but what the heck? (laughs) And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Your servants, you servants of the most high God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise to the God. This is the result of the miracle. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other god who is able to deliver like this. Man, yeah, that's, that's incredible, right? God is good. To understand how we got here, though, we need to understand who Daniel, that's the author of this book, is and who his friends are and how they got here. Israel had been once again disobedient. God had told them, hey, you guys, as you enter the promised land, you're going to struggle. You're going to walk away from me. If you do that, I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to let other countries come in and take you away. And this is exactly what happened. The, uh, Babylon comes in. They sack Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. They take everything for their own possession. They take uh, everything back to their own lands. Now, Instead of just wiping everybody out, uh, in his sermon, The King in the Furnace, Pastor Tim Keller writes, typically, when a larger nation came in and conquered, they would take the best, the brightest, the artisan, the craftsmen, the best of those, the, the smart ones, the royalty, the influential families, and they would take the best of the best for themselves, and they would bring them back 
to the capital of the conquering kingdom. They would do that so that they would re-educate them in the ways of this new kingdom in their culture. Now, this ensured two things. The first was that these, these smaller kingdoms that were overtaken and brought in, they were enmeshed and ingrained into this new civilization. And their dependency, not only was their life rescued, but now they're actually being asked to work and to, to become a part of the society. They do so, and so it, they become enmeshed. They become, uh, it becomes a place where it's really difficult to actually separate what used to be from what is. After a generation or two, these uh, cultures would, would be uh, so ingrained that the smaller culture would actually fight for the rights of the larger culture instead of trying to retain what, what was because their welfare now depends on this new kingdom. Secondly, the bigger kingdom gets the best and the brightest from other places. What this does is it now makes them stronger, the arts, the culture, and everything. And so they actually become more powerful artistically and culturally because they've assumed the best and the brightest from the places they've conquered. It actually increases their power and the influence across the world. And so this is called elimination of culture through assimilation of culture. They eliminate, their intent was to eliminate the people of Israel's culture through assimilating them into the Babylonian culture. Now, the author of this book, Daniel, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not three random guys. They were the best and the brightest. They were royalty. They were uh, the best educated. They had abilities and talents that were recognized, and so they get brought as captives from the nation of Israel to work in Babylon. They have a Babylonian education. They are working in the government. They are known to the king, and they are a deep part of the city. They love the city. They pray for the city just like God told them. Some of you guys know there's a prophet named Jeremiah. It's called the Weeping Prophet because he was sad at the exile of the nation of Israel to Babylon. And so he writes his books, Lamentations and Jeremiah, around this same time. And he actually speaks to this in Jeremiah 29, 4-7. He speaks on behalf of God and he says, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's talking to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, among others. It says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. They have been called to fully engage with the city, to seek its welfare, to, to not just sh- you know, try and, and subvert it at every point. And so they are working in the government of the city. They're fully engaged, just like they have been told to. They understand that God wants to bless them. And in fact, this is where we get that scripture that's so often taken out of context. Jeremiah, just a little bit farther, says in, verse, uh, in chapter 29, verse 11, says, For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for your disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He's specifically talking to the people of Israel and saying, if you engage in that culture, you serve me with, from within that culture, you engage that culture, I'm going to bless you because this is what I've called you to. Now this brings us to our story. They're a part of its city, they're a part of its welfare, but they're also faithful servings of the living God. And now we have a situation where these two things are actually opposed to each other. For those taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. Being an apprentice of Jesus means living in the tension of faith and culture. Being an apprentice of Jesus means living in the tension of faith and culture. 
Now, that verse, verse 14, where it says, Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Pastor Keller points out the best way to translate that verse is not or worship the statue, but translate it by worshiping the statue. So in other words, it would be Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods by worshiping the gold statue I have set up? Remember, the key to elimination of culture is through assimilation of culture. In other words, what Nebuchadnezzar is actually saying to them is, I'm not asking you to worship our gods instead of yours. I'm asking you to worship our gods in addition to your gods. He's built a pluralistic society. Everyone's beliefs are welcome as long as they conform to the greater good. See, the statue represents not just a god, it doesn't have a name, but it represents all gods and religions in Nebuchadnezzar's empire, including all the other nations that he's conquered. And he's like, hey, no, we, we're all here. We all get along. This is a representation of all of our deal here. And so Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, look, in the privacy of your own home, worship whatever religion, whatever way you want, that's fine. As long as in public you declare that all gods are good and we're going to worship all of them together because that way it's, it's a point of affirming the unity of our kingdom. And this is the point that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to make a choice. They're supposed to pursue the well-being of the city and its culture, but not to the point they compromise the worshiping of the one true God, or you can't be obedient to God in that. Now today, we're faced with exactly the same challenges. How do we love our city and engage our city and our culture without compromising our faith? And too many Christians have tried to blast culture and, and, and make culture out to be evil in order to make themselves feel good about what they're worshiping. But in doing that, you compromise the mission to love our culture, to love our city, to pray for it, to love others. The problem is that we, we can't just, um, it, it's not about just saying, hey, you know, you do what you want, we're going to do what we want. It's, it's about saying, hey, Christians, we have to say we love people no matter where they're at or what they believe, without saying that our God is just one God among many. Because the moment we do that, we've now compromised our faith and we deny the very faith that we claim. We're called to hold fast to our faith at the same time we love and serve those outside of it. We are called to hold fast to our faith at the same time we love and serve those outside of our faith. The truth is we're always going to have to live in this tension. But what we can hold on to is that scripture is our truth because scripture is God's word and will for us. We can love a culture and live in a culture without failing to love it and without being transformed by it. For instance, let me give you an example. This is a hard one to hear, but this is the truth. We can acknowledge that Jesus calls us to a radical sexual purity while still loving and being friends with those who are not apprenticing Jesus and don't have that same call to a radical sexual purity. We don't have to hold non-apprentices of Jesus to Jesus' standards because they're not following Jesus. Why would we try and hold them to a standard that they don't believe in? Our job isn't to fix people, to change people. Our job isn't to make people act like us. But, as Jesus followers... That means that we have to live according to the standards God has set. That means we have a radical sexual purity we have to follow. That means that we aren't sleeping with our boyfriends, girlfriends, or people that I weren't married to, and we're not looking at pornography. Uh-oh. Right? <laughs> exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Uh-oh. We will always have to live in this tension. Like, how do I live in a way 
that I'm not blasting you for living the way that you're living, but I'm still holding fast to what God has called me to. And allowing the way that we live to speak instead of saying, you need to act like me. We you don't want people acting like us. Christians, we do not want people acting like us. For those of you non-Christians in the room, it's totally fine, right? Like, just Christians for a minute. Stop it. We want people to act like Jesus, not like us. So we always want to love the culture right where it's at without demanding the culture conform to us. At the same time, we don't want to conform to culture. Keller points out that a pluralistic culture will always demand we privatize our faith and publicly support the culture, exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar is asking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they choose their faith over their culture, they end up in a bad spot, just like we may. They handle the consequence of that choice, though, is one of the most beautiful moments of apprenticing Jesus. We'll read. This leads us to our second observation for the day. Being an apprentice of Jesus means learning to love God for who he is, not for what he gives us. Being an apprentice of Jesus means learning to love God for who he is, not what he gives us. I want you to notice something. This crisis happens in the midst of their disobedience, right? Those, two, those three guys were disobeying God? No. They were actually standing up for God when this crisis happens. This happens in the midst of their obedience. They weren't doing something wrong. God's like, all right, let me test your faith because of it. They were actually obeying when this death crisis comes up. And this is a matter of life and death, right? Like this isn't just some small trivial thing. This is a massive deal and it happens to them in the midst of their obedience. See, some of us tie suffering to God's displeasure or punishment. Well, I must have done something wrong. That's why I'm suffering. But the Bible is clear that all who apprentice Jesus will suffer. Jesus suffered. Why wouldn't we suffer? And yet somehow we think, well, that's not, that's not, it must be whether I do good things and I get rewarded, and if I do bad things, I get punished. That's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. And so if our identity and security is not based on what we do, but who God is and what he has done, then we can't tie difficult times to God's displeasure, but we also can't tie blessing to our obedience. God blesses who he wants to bless. He may not bless us, even if we're being obedient. It depends on what God wants, because whatever God gives us, whether good or bad, is always because it's what's best for us and for his kingdom. One of the worst moments in my Christian life came about 17 years ago. And I was working in an environment that was extremely hostile to Christianity. It was fine to be spiritual, but to be Christian meant you were a hypocritical hate monger. And I was trying to be relevant to this group, right? It's always a bad deal. I was trying to be relevant to the group. And, uh, and I was trying to show that all Christians aren't what they had experienced. And in the middle of the conversation, I was literally stopped by my own words. I was trying to show them I was just like them. And I was like, look, guys, there's no difference between your life and mine. Oh, shoot, there is no difference between your life and mine. I'd become so afraid of, of, of how to stand for my convictions that, that I, and, and how the standing for my convictions would come across that I actually wasn't even standing for my convictions anymore. I wasn't even bothering to live them out. I'd become a Christ follower in name and not in action. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get this. They understand this. They know that they have it good from the city, that the culture is giving them everything they have, including their lives, but they know that who they stand for is more valuable than what they stand for, than what they have, excuse me. Who they stand for, God, is more valuable than the gifts that they've been given. They know that God can and will save them. But even if God chose not to rescue them from death, they knew that God would rescue them through death. Even if he didn't choose to rescue them from death, he would rescue them through death. You see, that they knew they would be in Jesus' arms one way or another. 
When they tell the king they can't compromise by worshiping gods, by worshiping other gods, the king decides to execute them. That's the result. All right, you're going to be executed. And look at their response. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. It's not about you, is what they're saying. If the, gods, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know, we will not serve your gods or worship the God, the gold statue you set up. They respond that God is greater than you, king. God's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. He's more powerful than you. That, his power is not limited to your power. See, they have faith that God can and will rescue, but they know that they're not God. And so even if God chooses not to, they know that God is still good because they know that's what's best for them in God's kingdom. See, they love God for who he is and not what he can give them, even if it means life, security, happiness, life, right? This is what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. You see, so often we tie our agenda to God. We, we ask him for stuff and say we trust him, but then when our agenda isn't met, we're like, see, I knew I could never trust you. But that's not trust, that's manipulation, right? You and all the three-year-olds in our church have a lot in common if we live this way. It's two-year-old logic that says, I can only trust you if you do what I want you to do. But we do this. And it doesn't matter whether we're new to this Jesus thing or we've been living this forever. We fall back into this pattern all the time. In the Bible, the fire and the furnace are used as analogies for suffering and trials. And so the Bible says we're going to face them. It shouldn't be a shock to us. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. It's going to happen. And 1 Peter 1 7 says, so that the proven character of your faith, this is why we suffer, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. We need suffering. Wait, what? <laughs> Do you want to know who you really are? Do you want to learn how to have empathy for others? Do you want to have faith and trust in God? Do you want perseverance and a character that comes from trials? Then you need to experience suffering, and God knows this in us. Suffering either leads to brokenness and hopelessness, or it leads to growth through brokenness. And when we trust Jesus, it leads to growth through brokenness. But ultimately, the point of the story, just like last week the story was actually not about David and Goliath, the story here is actually not about these three dudes being thrown into a furnace. It's a story about King Nebuchadnezzar and the one true and living God, Yahweh. In fact, this is one of three instances where God interacts with Nebuchadnezzar. This is number two. The first one is an encounter with Daniel, and it's where the statue comes from. The statue comes from. The king had a dream, and God allows Daniel to interpret that dream. Take a look at chapter two with me. Daniel chapter two, it says this. Your majesty, this is Daniel interpreting the dream. As you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered. became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that stuck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, 
And now let me tell you the king, its interpretation. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heavens, listen to this, the God of heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Where did it come from? The God of heavens. God gave this to him. Wherever people live or wild animals or birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to yours and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. A fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything. And like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all others. You saw the feet and toes partly of a potter's fired clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with clay and that the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with clay. The peoples will mix with one another, but will not hold together just as iron does not mix with fired clay. In the days of those kings, the gods of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is a telling of the gospel. And the kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation reliable. God is telling him exactly what's going to happen. But because this interaction happens before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guess where the statue came from? This dream. The second interaction between Nebuchadnezzar and God is the interaction with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He orders the statue of pure gold to be built and to be worshipped. It's as if he's taking the dream and saying, my kingdom is so great it'll never end. The head was of gold, that's me, but you know what, I'm going to make the whole statue out of gold. And so essentially the king is saying, it's fine if you want to worship your gods, but you must worship the kingdom that's great enough to bring all these gods together. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are refusing to do. The king is so incensed that he wants the furnace to be as hot as his anger. Ultimately, though, the third encounter, we haven't read yet, it comes up later. It's once again through Daniel. The king has a dream. Daniel once again interprets it. And the dream is a warning that God has given Nebuchadnezzar everything he has, just like in the first dream. And he says, if you don't recognize God as the one that gave you everything, that you did not do this on your own, I'm going to take it all away. A year later, Nebuchadnezzar is walking along the palace wall. He looks over at his kingdom. He says, look what I've built. And God takes it from him. He actually ends up having a mental illness uh, that drives him away from humanity for seven years. At the end of that seven years, he looks to heaven. He acknowledges Yahweh as the one true God. His sanity is restored. He comes back, is given even greater power and glory, but this time in humility and with the acknowledgement that Yahweh is the one true God. Daniel four thirty four to 37 says, But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There was no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the time my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now, This is the change of heart. This is the reason for the three interactions, including the furnace. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. See, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, see, though they didn't know it, God knew exactly how this was going to turn out from the very beginning. He was accomplishing something way bigger than rescuing these three guys from the furnace. In the midst of his execution, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up and he, and he sees something. He says, I, I, I see four people in there. 
And the fourth looks like he's the son of God. Now, this is called a theophanies. A theophanies is a physical appearance of God to humans. But this is more than that. It's also a Christophany, meaning it's the appearance of Christ before he was born in the human flesh. So Jesus has always existed. He's always been a um, member of the triune Godhead. Jesus has never failed to exist. And so um, he took on human nature and was born into humanity in addition to his God nature. So he was always God. He also took on humanity. But before he took on humanity, he was here and he would show up. This is called a Christophany. So the pre-incarnate Jesus is walking with them in the midst of the fire. Now for us, this matters because Jesus is still walking with us. The only way for us to move from growth through brokenness is to trust Jesus to take us where he wants us to go through the fires of refinement. And he's promised to walk with us in the fire just like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Isaiah 43, 1-2. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. Family like gold, we are constantly being refined more and more pure than we were before. Instead of looking to God, looking to what we get from God, we can trust him completely simply because he's good. Instead of going, God, I need you to give me security and safety and trust and a good career and a good family life and and all these things. I, I just need you to give me those things and then I'll trust you. We go, God, I trust you whether those things come or don't come because ultimately we know what you do give us, good or bad, is what's best for us and for your kingdom. We believe, we know that Jesus is walking with us. Why? Because he was thrown into the ultimate furnace for us. He faced the unbearable wrath of the Father, the weight of our sins, the full extent of rejection and pain steadfastly for us. If he went through all of that steadfastly for us, then we know we can face whatever we are facing steadfastly because he's with us. One of the ways that we see Jesus meet us is actually through the people he brings into our lives. We were never meant to do this apart from community. We were never meant to walk through loss and grief without community. And so if you're in a place today where you need somebody to help you understand who Jesus is or walk with you, we would love to do that. Find somebody with a pink lanyard. They're walking around. They would love to have a conversation with you to help you engage more clearly. We'd love to pray with you. Good? Good. All right. Today is the first of the month, and so it's the day that we take communion. And I know that um, some of you are already taking communion more regularly in your missional communities, but this is the time where we gather together as the body of the church to do this all together. We do it once a month, the first Sunday of the month. Uh, we, we all take communion together, and so um, we do it because this is one of the instructions Jesus gave us. He said, continue to do communion. Continue to baptize, continue to do communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That proclaim the Lord's death until he comes is about continually remembering and telling what Jesus has done. As you come up and take the, the bread and the juice, so you know on the right side today, the table over here has um, gluten-free option. There's a table here. There's also a table out back, somebody there to serve you communion. But take that back to your seat and just take a moment. Reflect on what God is saying to you this morning. Just be still and quiet and then take the juice and the bread on your own whenever God has told you you're good to go. Amen.
Let's pray. God, you are holy and righteous. You are good. I thank you for your graciousness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the ways that you have or just protected us and rescued us. I thank you for the ways that you walk, us, walk with us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. As we take communion this morning, Lord, we remember all that you have taken on yourself so that we can walk in you, the ways that you were beaten so that we could be restored, how you were wounded so we could be healed, and how you died so that we could be brought back to life. We trust you and love you in your name, Jesus.